In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Glad to have you on the Retirement Pathfinder podcast with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky, Retirement Income Planning Specialist at Pathfinder Wealth Management, serving all of Rockford. We got a good show today. We're going to get into a couple different things. Financial Dictionary, going to explain backdoor Roth IRAs to you, something you probably have heard of before, but maybe haven't gotten a whole lot of information on. So we'll try to clear up what exactly that is, what it means, should you do it. And then active versus passive management. What is this as well? We'll dive into the meaning of this. So a little bit of education on today's Retirement Pathfinder. Barbara and Phil, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're hanging in there. Yeah, we're. Yeah, this this is where the rubber meets the road, Ben. I was going to say it's been a, a busy uh, couple of months. I know this this episode will air in uh, well mid just about a week from when we're recording it, so still pretty timely on what's happening. But it's just been a lot of market volatility. It just seems like every ten or fifteen minutes, there's a new uh, bit of news out there somewhere. It's really hard to keep up with right now. Yeah, it really is, Ben. You know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about first off was uh, I don't know how many folks that are listening heard the, and saw the president's address last night, you know, but uh, he really uh, took leadership and took a real, really firm leadership position with regard to how to fight off the most recent uh, coronavirus uh, debacle. And, and I had to admire what he, what measures he's taking, you know, and of course uh, he encouraged everybody to uh, continue to wash their hands and stay away from big crowds. So those folks that are 80 years of age and older are, are susceptible to, uh, to the virus. And if you're sick now, you know, stay at home. Don't go in, uh, into large groups. But he took some other firm stands, too. One was to close the borders to, uh, to Europe. And that has been highly criticized by the EU. You know, of course, if they had done that in Italy, they wouldn't have the problem there that they have today. But he took a firm stand there. And, of course, when you take a firm stand, you're going to be criticized. Didn't help that China wasn't forthcoming in this problem uh, weeks and months ago to head this off, but uh, the president was. He closed our borders to China as well, and I think it really saved a lot of lives. But here, here's the downside. In spite of what he said, it, it really uh, had a detrimental effect on the markets today, and uh, you know the circuit breaker kicked in and trading was halted. And um, why did that happen? Well, because uh, there is 100% uncertainty in the markets, and mar- markets don't like that. But you know, we say that you know <laughs> markets will return, but dead people don't. And so it's very important that people understand that we are as concerned about uh, people's health as we are the market. In fact, we're more concerned about people's health. And we want to emphasize the importance of uh, reaffirming those things the president's advocated and your healthcare workers are promoting and uh, the CDC and all the other people that are basically helping us to, uh, to save lives in this country. That's the important thing. You know, money could be remade, but healthcare right. can't or health can't. Yeah, you know, we're, we're aware of our clients' emotions during all of this, and so it's up to us to help our clients stay calm. And I'd have to say that our message is going to be pretty boring because it's always going to be the same, and that is to stay the course right now because if you get out, you may never recover or it could take years. But one of the things I wanted to encourage our listeners to our clients is that check your emails because there's been a video that we sent out the last couple of weeks on a Friday about this whole coronavirus uh, debacle, if you will. And those are those are important for helping us. The purpose of us doing those is to help calm your fears. So check your emails if you haven't for those too. Yeah. And how can somebody get uh, on that mailing list, Barb, if they aren't right now? 
just uh, give our office a call or send us an email through the website it would be fine. Cool. Pathfinderwealth.com is the way to do it. The the yep. uh, the phone number is 815-399-9806. And I, I'm guessing there's probably a, a number of people out there right now that they may, might not have been working with an advisor because things have been so great over the last uh, decade plus, and, and now they might want to be reconsidering that decision and, and sitting down and making sure their plan is in order to try to uh, make sure they take advantage of maybe an opportunity here potentially, but also to make sure the next time a downturn happens that they can minimize some of that risk. So I uh, recommend you guys reach out to Pathfinder Wealth and uh, do so soon and get this, your plan in order. So today we want to educate, though, move away from the coronavirus a little bit and, and what's in the news and, and really get back to the uh, meat and potatoes of financial planning and get to a couple different uh, terms and strategies that, that are out there and just try to make more sense of them for people. <laughs> Let's start with uh, the financial dictionary and get into backdoor Roth IRAs. So, you know, we, we talk about Roth before and, we know, and many people know what Roths are, but what exactly is a backdoor Roth? Well, I'll take that question because I actually like these. So what is it? When your income is too high to contribute to a traditional or a Roth IRA, then you can contribute to a backdoor Roth IRA. So here's how it works. If you're over age 50, you can contribute $7,000 to an IRA. If you're under 50, then you can contribute $6,000. And you just simply open up a traditional IRA account and you contribute up to the limit. So let's just use $7,000 for an example. Now, wait at least a month to show a statement with all the funds that you're going to contribute are in the account. So in this example, $7,000. And then if you have a Roth IRA account already established, you just convert convert that $7,000 to your Roth IRA. If you haven't set one up, open up a Roth IRA and then and you're good to go. It's very important when you're moving from the IRA to the Roth IRA, this is called a conversion. And you can do this every year that you have earned income and high income. The deductibility is handled entirely on a person's tax return through form what's called 8606, and that's to report a non-deductible contribution. And there's a few forms to keep track of. And then one, once the funds are converted, then the custodian will issue a form 1099R for the conversion. Many of our clients are probably familiar with that form. And then finally, the Roth custodian will issue a form 5498 about mid-year, and that's going to show the amount of the conversion. And from those forms, the IRS will look at taxes that are due. So number one, you have to have earned income. This isn't pension or Social Security income. And the funds that end up in the Roth IRA through the backdoor conversion are converted funds. That's very important. They're converted funds. They're not Roth IRA contributions. So Roth IRA contributions you can make up until April 15th. Roth IRA conversions, you have to, uh, um, via the backdoor or the regular conversions, our calendar year. So just to keep it simple, if you're thinking of doing this concept in, say, January through November, contribute up to your $7,000, and then you'll have a statement showing $7,000 in the IRA. And then in December, convert that over to the Roth IRA. But there are no rules stating you can't convert immediately in this backdoor Roth example. But by waiting until you receive a statement, for example, showing $7,000 in contributions to an IRA, then you have a paper trail. You can always call us or send us an email if you have any questions and I can go over this with you in more detail. Yeah, Bob, I was really surprised when you uh, told me about this uh, backdoor IRA, Roth IRA, because uh, I wasn't aware of it. And uh, this is something you've You've done yourself. Yes, I, I know. I, I, I do. And I like doing this. We don't do it with many of our clients because they're, they're retired. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think it's a great opportunity and it, it is called backdoor, but I mean, it's, it's every bit legal. You can do this. So. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's something that uh, our clients need to be aware of. And you know, I, I I'm amazed that people still get confused the idea of a contributory uh, Roth IRA to a um, conversion Roth IRA. Yes, and and so we have to parse that out, make sure that they understand there is a difference between the two. Yeah. And when you're doing a backdoor Roth, that's very important because you're going to be filling out information for questions you're being asked on your tax return. Did you contribute? Well, no, because this is a conversion. So um, it's very important. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So who, uh, who would benefit from this the most, do you think? Well, high income earners, because they can't contribute to a traditional IRA or a Roth, you know, the income limits for contributing to a Roth IRA are much higher than a traditional IRA. And then with a traditional IRA, you also have limitations with employer sponsored plans. And whether your spouse has an employer sponsored plan or you both do, there's a number of issues and concerns with a traditional IRA, but the income limits are very low for contributing to a traditional much higher for a Roth IRA, but even if you exceed that, then you can't contribute to a Roth. So this is a way of doing that because, you know, you're just opening up an IRA. Anyone can have an IRA no matter what your income is. And like I said, the deductibility is determined on uh, that form when you file your taxes at the end of the year. So uh, you're not, it's considered a, just a traditional IRA account, grows tax deferred, but then you are going to uh, convert that to the Roth, which is tax-free. But I'd say mainly, Ben, it's for people that have, uh, it is for people that have high income and can't contribute to the other two. Okay. That makes sense. Do you, I mean, is this a strategy that you are working with clients quite a bit on, or is this just kind of come up uh, when you see the the right opportunity? When I see the right opportunity, because it's rare. I gotcha. Okay. Talk about some downfalls or mistakes, because it sounds like it's a real positive, but I'm sure there are some pitfalls potentially that people can make if they go this route. Well, if they go this route, then they're going to fill out their tax forms at the end of the year. They're going to call this a contribution. And this is not a contribution. It's a conversion. So that's what's, that's very important. And so, you know, you don't, here's the thing too, to know for our listeners is don't do this on your own because you want to make sure that you have the proper forms in place. And then you're, you're filling out your tax uh, forms in the proper way at the end of the year when you file your taxes. But I would say, and I don't see too many people that I, or I even talk to other advisors that are doing this, but you want to just make sure that those, uh, that you're calling these converted funds, not contributions. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else on backdoor Ross that I hadn't covered or you think it's important for somebody to know about? Well, if you have high income and you can't contribute to a traditional or a Roth, give us a call. We certainly can Perfect. help you out with a backdoor Roth. And, and uh, you know, you can send us an email or give us a call at 815-399-9806. We'd be glad to help you. Sounds good. Uh, and you can also find them online at pathfinderwealth.com. Uh, another thing I want to get to today is uh, active versus passive management. I, I've heard this before. I'm not completely clear on what all this is. So I wanted to uh, present it to you both and see if you can kind of help me make sense of it. I'm sure some other people listening have questions about it as well. So what's the difference between these two strategies, active versus passive? Well, Ben, the, the biggest difference between the two strategies is based upon the difference in investment philosophy. And there is a huge difference, a huge difference there. Let's talk about active management. First of all, the active manager is a person or a firm that is a proponent of opportunities, seeking opportunities to invest in stocks that are undervalued in the market and may have been overlooked by the investing public. So they're searching for misprice stock or mutual funds. They believe that markets are inefficient and that some stocks really are priced lower than they should be and they're overlooked and they can pick out the mispricings 
through things like fundamental research or other type of traditional methods and outperformed a comparable index such as the S&P 500. So let's say a stock uh, that they believe should be uh, $100 a share is priced at $80 a share. They call that mispricing. And so the active manager says, hey, I'm going to buy that stock because I believe that's underpriced. The market is efficient at that point. And so there is a buying opportunity for that stock. So they're looking for those gems out there of stocks and, uh, and they want to try to find them and they, they're trying to buy them or they're trying to find a guru who can consistently find those type of opportunities and beat the market. Now, by comparison, what is passive management? Well, a passive manager or somebody who believes in, in uh, passive management uh, as an investor proposes that markets are efficient and that all the stocks are priced at their true value. In other words, whatever the price happens to be on that stock is at true value in the market. The price of a stock will only change when previously unknowable or unavailable information becomes known. So all of a sudden, this new information comes out, the price either moves up or down. The passive manager or investor is willing to settle for what we call market returns or index returns on a consistent basis. They're not looking to outperform the market. Well, the active manager, by comparison, is an investor who is convinced that he can outperform the index when given the proper tools, the research, the study, and so forth, find those opportunities and buy the stocks at lower values than they should be. And then, of course, that would be uh, come up and be higher than the market uh, index would be. You know, both philosophies are distinctly at odds with each other. Those who advocate the passive approach contend that active investors are making big bets uh, that they're uh, guessing, gambling, and speculating with their own or their, their investors' money, while the active uh, investor uh, says it's possible to outperform and the passive investor fails to recognize the systems and techniques that and are thus underperforming. So active managers say, hey, the passive guy, he's underperforming the market when he has better opportunities available. You know, this is a real controversial area, Ben. And it's kind of like the, the, the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys many times. And, uh, you know, well, what do we believe as, as Pathfinder? Well, for many years, I was an advocate of the active management approach. I believe in uh, finding gifted managers or gurus who could, they had a special touch for or success for picking stocks and finding other managers who could uh, pick underpriced or mispriced stocks. My goal was to beat the market. However, after reading investment research publications by financial academics at the big financial schools, I concluded that the evidence showed that no person could consistently outperform. Now, you might find people that can. The problem is uh, recognizing those people. In fact, uh, the research showed, Ben, that just uh, the opposite occurs. 60 to 70% of active managers mm -hmm. fail to beat their benchmark index. And so uh, after reviewing all this research, Many years ago, I concluded that trying to beat the market as a goal was at the best of fool's errand. And trying to promote myself or others as having the ability to do that is being dishonest. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's how do you, how do you know if someone's speculating and gambling with your money? Mm -hmm. Well, individual stock picking, market timing, track record investing. And it's like you said, Phil, we did have a challenge before we discovered an academic way of investing. So all three of us advisors, you know, being honest about it, I mean, we were trying to keep up with minimizing our clients' downturns, right. maximizing <clears throat> returns on the upside. And it was a lifesaver for not only us, but our clients when we looked at leading academics, Nobel Prize winning research on portfolio design. Took the guessing game completely away from us. Well, yeah, that's exactly right, Barb. It's, it's evidence-based investing. 
Yeah, and then research hasn't proven that active management works over the long run. But I think oftentimes it's the advisor chasing returns and selling at the wrong time, selling what's in the best interest of the company that they represent, and none of those are in the best interest of the client. And that's all because they don't know. They're guessing at what to do with their client's money, and they don't have a plan, whereas you have a specific plan here. Our clients have a specific design. Yeah, they do. They do. In fact, uh, you know, we don't we don't do forward looking when we say, okay, what is this stock or what is this mutual fund or what is this manager going to do? That's guessing. That's speculating. That's really gambling. You know, we don't want to take a chance with the client's money in that regard, but we can look back and see what the evidence says. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the old series Dragnet. What was uh, Sergeant (laughs) Joe Friday's uh, comment? Just Just the the facts, facts, bam. Just the facts. (laughs) So we're looking at the facts of, you know, what these asset classes, we know that a growth stock performs differently than a than a value stock and a large company stock performs differently than a small company stocks. And that's consistent. That's been proven over a 70 year period of time. And that's why we call it evidence-based investing. And that's the way you should do it. You shouldn't do it based on speculation. You should do it based on the evidence. Ah, makes a lot of sense. You guys are pretty passionate about this topic. I, I, I knew this was going to be interesting, but I didn't realize <laughs> you guys were so strongly on, on one side or the other. Well, you know, what's really interesting is we'll often see people come to us, Ben, that will have a portfolio. And in the portfolio will be a combination of actively managed funds or, or uh, actively managed stock and passively managed stock. And so my question to the client is, well, what does your uh, investment person believe in? You can't really accept and believe in both philosophies. You, either, you have to either believe and accept the academic side or you have to believe and accept the speculation side. And that's really what it boils down to. There's no in-between. There's no writing the fence. You know, what I was thinking, too, is that uh, it's a comparison. So they want to compare their funds and what they're doing in the market with their neighbors or their friends or their coworkers. You know, it's and we've actually had people come in here and say, well, I have a balanced portfolio and you have a balanced portfolio here. But their balanced portfolio, I can tell you, is going to be completely different uh, design than ours is. It absolutely is. So they just you can't compare. I guess, Phil, maybe if somebody has both passive and active, that's their way to diversify? I don't know. Maybe that's well, <laughs> maybe yeah, that's what they're thinking. I don't know. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's really um, junk science is really what it amounts to. And uh, what they're trying to do is I think the investment person that does that is trying to outperform. I think that's the premise here. We'll have a little bit of safety here with the, the academic uh, approach, but we're going to go ahead and speculate with the rest of your money. Well, I, that's not acceptable in our, in our particular world. Yeah, uh, it should be. Um, I mean, if somebody's looking at both of these, though, are there different fees um, between these two setups? I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of risk variation between the two. But what about fees, just if you're going to go this route? That's a good question. In fact, uh, one of the things we tell people is there ain't no free lunch in life, right? Uh, You're going to pay for management, whether it's uh, direct management through a passive approach like we do, or it's going to be buried in the cost of your funds in an active in an actively managed portfolio. So, you know, there's some differences in the fee structure, but one of the things we tell our clients is that, you know, our job as your investment manager using a passive approach is to keep you precisely correlated between risk and return. And that can be only, they only can be done with a passive uh, approach. So, so yes, we charge a, a fee for doing that work uh, just as an actively managed mutual fund manager would charge a fee internally for trying to pick stocks and guess what the market's going to do. Yeah, but you know what, Ben, you're actually going to pay a little bit more with active management because they're going to be paying an annual fee, the clients are, but then they're also going to be paying fees when there's buys and sells. That's so true, you know, yeah. they're paying on both sides of that trade plus the annual fee. So typically that's going to be a higher fee anyway. I got gotcha. you. Are you all having these conversations about 
active and passive with clients? Is this something that comes up very much? Yeah. Oh, this is the first yeah. thing we talk about because okay. one of the things that they need to understand is, you know, uh, well, number one, they really don't understand how they're invested. They don't understand the method behind it. They don't understand the philosophy their investment manager is using. And so we need to, you know, it's kind of like the old football coach says, you know, we have to understand the, the basics, blocking and tackling. It's basically football 101. This is investing 101. Why do you hold what you hold? Why did your manager pick what he did? And if, if he says, if the investment person says, oh, it's to make more money, well, you need to prove that to us. And you need to prove that that's going to continue in the future. And uh, uh, by and large, I mean, there's just no academic evidence that proves that speculating and gambling with a client's money is going to produce the results time and time again. Well, and, and we, uh, we say, too, that you don't have to know everything about investing, yes. but you do have to know a few of the important things. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Uh, anything else on active versus passive? I, I think you guys really broke it down and I got a much better understanding, but is there anything else you want to add? No, I don't think I so. I don't think, I think it about covers it. I think that if people are, are really uh, concerned about what they hold in their portfolio, uh, the worst thing they can do is say, hey, I know my manager is doing his job. I don't understand a thing he's doing, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I know he's doing his job. Then they need to come and talk to somebody who helps them understand what they hold and why they're holding it. Well, backdoor Roth IRAs and this active versus passive management discussion has been a good one. And there's a lot of other terms and, and strategies out there that probably people have heard quite a bit about. May not know. We're not going to cover them all today, but I would I would suggest uh, reaching out to Barbara and Phil at Pathfinder Wealth Management. Uh, I know you, you two would both be happy to sit down. If somebody has a question, current client, maybe somebody that's uh, looking for an advisor. If you have questions about this kind of stuff, this is the stuff you, you enjoy working with somebody on and, and talking them through it. Yes, that's right, Ben. So make sure you do that. Pathfinderwealth.com. Also, the number is 815-399-9806. Uh, while you're there, you can check out past episodes, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'll have another podcast coming out in a couple of weeks. A lot going on right now in the financial world. So we'll try to keep up to date on that, but also keep you informed on just retirement planning in general, because it's a process and it's uh, it's something as Barbara and Phil said at the beginning, when things go crazy, it's stick to the plan. Got a plan in place for a reason. So that's why we have these conversations. Well, thank you both for uh, for this conversation today. I learned a lot and hopefully our listeners did as well. Yeah, thanks for thank, listeners. Thanks, That'll do it for us on Retirement Pathfinder. Hit subscribe and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.